Well, that was some great music tonight. If you enjoyed that, can you say amen? Now let me tell you something. I think that was the greatest concert or package of music on the Word of God I have ever heard in my entire life. And I really do mean that. Um, isn't it amazing what music can do and the message that good music can bring across? That was amazing on God's Word. I don't know about you, but I hope you're excited about what you got in your hand tonight. But I will tell you this, you can sing about the Word of God and you can celebrate the Word of God. I lived in Israel for five months back in the 1980s. My wife and I lived on a kibbutz uh, right on the Jordan River, uh, about three and a kilometer south of the Sea of Galilee. And we lived right with the Israelis. We worked with the Israelis and the cottons and the grape and the, uh, the chickens. I worked in the kitchen. I, uh, every, I mean, just every area on the kibbutz. And the kibbutz was the first line of defense in 1948 when Israel became a nation. They put these farms on its border. Every farm had to have agriculture and every farm had to have industry. And uh, the industry on our kibbutz was uh, making plastic bottles for Revlon. And then they had every kind of agriculture you could imagine. Bananas and, um, uh, bananas and uh, dates were probably the biggest, but they had cotton, olives, grapes, you name it. Um, one night, uh, some of the Israelis on the kibbutz, they call them kibbutzniks, they said, um, do you all want to go to something really special? And we said, yeah, yeah, let's go. So we loaded up a couple vans. And uh, a few of us that were in the group, the Baptist for Israel group, and a few of the Israelis, the kibbutzniks, we drove for about an hour and a half. We went down a dirt road and kind of came to this building. Well, it was a synagogue. And um, we came into the synagogue, and we had to stand upstairs with the women. Uh, but it was you could tell there was an excitement going on. And then the, these uh, Jews, these Israelis come out, and they, the men, they start dancing, they start singing, and then they bring the scrolls out. And I never heard this before, but it was the time of Simchat Torah, which is the celebration of the word of God. And they danced around with the word of God and, and, and celebrated the word. And of course, uh, it was very, uh, I, I'll tell you, I never really experienced anything like it before. And it was really a special evening. But when I got back to the kibbutz and I got to thinking about it, I said, you know, they celebrated the word of God but they don't know the word of God. And um, I thought they have totally missed their Yeshua HaMashiach, and yet they celebrated it. Well, young people tonight, I'm just telling you, I have never heard a better package of music about God's word than what we heard tonight. But you can sing about the word, and you can celebrate the word, and still not know the word. And tonight, I want you to know God's word. A lot of people, a lot of times, uh, people come up to me and they say, Brother Shetler, why don't young people live their faith today? Well, I have a simple answer. I think young people don't live their faith because they don't know their faith. Tonight, I want to share with you a very doctrinal message and a message you're going to have to listen by intent. You're not going to be able to just sit there. If you're going to get anything from this message, you're going to have to really listen. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So we're going to give a doctrinal message. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at the person next to you and tell them, I love doctrine. 
Now tell the person on the other side, behind you or somewhere else and say, I'm going to listen tonight. Okay? And I tell you what, if you do, it'll change your life. It really will. When I was a young person, um, I had never heard the truth that I'm going to give you tonight. And I wish I had. I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior at 12 years of age. I came out of a very religious background, be good, look good, do good. And hopefully at the end of your life, if you're good, outraise your, your bad, you'll go to heaven. I was born in a very Catholic background. Matter of fact, uh, every one of my relatives, all my siblings, my mom and dad, my grandma and grandpa, uh, all my aunts and uncles, all my cousins, everyone on both sides of the family, my mom's side, my dad's side, all went to parochial school, except for me. You know, it was, it was funny, one day I was about 10 years old, and I said, Mom, why does Marilyn and Carolyn and Raymond, why did Marilyn, Carolyn and Raymond, which are my older brothers and sisters, why did they go to parochial school? Why do all my cousins go to parochial school, Catholic school? Why don't I go to Catholic school? Quick as a whip, my mom said, Jimmy, I knew one of two things would happen. Number one, you'd kill the nuns, or number two, the nuns would kill you. And I said, oh, okay. Because back in the 60s, they didn't have this diagnosed, but I was kind of hyperactive. Imagine that, you know. But I was a little hyperactive. Uh, so I'm the only, I'm serious, though. I'm the only shuttler that didn't go to Catholic school. But I got to tell you, man, it was all Catholicism. When I was 12, uh, mom and dad's marriage was doing terrible. And um, mom would go separately to church from dad. And um, he, she would take us kids. Well, in 1969... My mother joins this women's Republican group, conservative women's Republican group, and uh, she's doing all this activism in the Detroit area of Michigan, but all the ladies in the group are born-again Christians, so they start witnessing to my mom. Well, my mom doesn't like it at all. She says, I believe in Jesus. You leave me alone. I believe the same thing you believe, but she knew they had something she didn't have. So on Easter of 1969, mom drops me off and, and my two sisters, my brother was already older, uh, over at uh, Our Lady of Refuge Catholic Church in Orchard Lake, Michigan. And she goes to Bloomfield Hills Baptist Church. First time she ever stepped foot in a Protestant church, in a, in a Baptist church. She never, Easter Sunday, 1969, my mom has never stepped foot, she's in heaven now, but she never stepped foot back in a Catholic church after that Sunday. It's amazing because she goes, this is the truth. This is the truth. Well, it was, I don't remember when. It was a couple months later. She said, Jimmy, would you like to go to another church? I said, yeah, I don't like catechism at all. So I said, yeah. So I was 12 years old, so I started going to Bluefield Hills Baptist Church. Loved it. I mean, I just, man, I, I just, there was such an excitement, and people were getting saved. I didn't know what all that meant, but it was just great. I went on a youth retreat. It'll be 50 years this fall. Uh, November 8th, 1969. I'm on a youth retreat, and um, it was a Saturday morning, and the youth pastor, Dan Wheelhauer, asked, is there anyone here that would like to receive Jesus as their Savior? I didn't know what that meant, but I wanted what those teenagers had, and I raised my hand. Youth pastor took me to the back 50 years ago this November. He took me to the upstairs of a, a, a little place where our, the retreat was, and he told me I was a sinner, and I knew that. And he told me I was on my way to hell, and I believed that I was. And he asked me if I wanted to receive Jesus. Well, so I trust Christ on November 8th, 1969. Now, you don't have to know the day you got saved. The majority of, I, I, have, I have three boys and a wife 
that all got saved very early in life, and they do not know the day that they trusted Christ, okay? They, they do not know, but I happen to know. I was 12. It was November 8, 1969. But I want to tell you what happens. That Catholicism kind of wrapped around me a little bit, that performance religion. And by the way, that was the one thing I knew that happened that day. I had a religion, and religion is man working himself to God. And I changed my religion for a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because Christianity is not a religion. Don't let anyone ever tell you, well, Christianity is like any other religion. No, it's not. Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is a relationship with a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. So anyways, I get saved at 12. But man, young people, I got to tell you, I don't live for the Lord at all from 12 to 18. Israel got saved out of Egypt but they wandered for 40 years. I'm glad I didn't wander for 40 years. But for six years of my life, I did not live the victorious Christian life. I was saved out of Egypt, but man, I wandered in the wilderness. And I'll tell you what, if you knew me at 15, you would have never thought I was a Christian. If you would have been my friend at 17, you would have, you would have probably had to separate from me because, man, that guy's not saved. If you would have known me at 16, you would have tried to witness to me to get saved. I truly do believe that I got saved at 12, but I didn't live like it at all. So something began to happen. What began to happen was it did not happen every day. It did not happen every week. It did not happen every month. But I would probably say once or twice a year, I would hear some good preaching or the Holy Spirit would work in my life. And I would question whether or not I was saved. And I would, you know, I'd get off by myself and I'd say, God, if I've never trusted you as my Savior, God, right now, I don't know if I prayed right. I don't know what I said. I, I don't know. I think I got saved on that November 8th thing, but I don't know. And God, I don't act like a Christian. And Lord, if I've never been saved right now, I pray and ask Jesus to be my Savior. And again, I didn't do that every day. I didn't do it every week. I didn't do it every month. But I'd probably say about twice a year. I'd pray to receive Jesus again as my Savior. This kind of goes on all the way through my teen years. I'm not living right. I'm not doing what's right. And I kind of go all the way through this. And then um, I go to Bible college. And uh, it continues on. Um, again, not every day, not every week, not every month. But I can remember probably five, six times at Bible college where I go back to the prayer room, I kneel down, I hear a message on the rapture, I hear a message on hell, and I go back, I, I kneel down and I say, God, if I've never trusted you before, right now I ask you to save me. So I don't know, from the time I got saved till I graduate from Bible college, I probably, with all my heart, soul, and mind, I probably tried to receive Jesus again probably 20 times where I just said, God, if it hasn't ever happened, I want to do it right now. Lord, I don't know what I prayed. I don't know if I ever got saved, but God, I'm not living right. I'm not thinking right. God, I must not be saved. How could I be a child of God? And I pray to receive Christ. I graduate from Bible college. I start traveling as a college representative for PCC. I'm traveling across America, doing two Christian schools a day, telling young people to come and preaching in chapels. And I'm still struggling with this thing. I'm in Lebanon, Pennsylvania, and I'm having my devotions. I had just done a Christian school service, and I asked if there was any place I could go to read the Bible and study. 
I had left early in the morning because of the traffic in Philadelphia or whatever. And um, they showed me the library, and I went to the library. And the passage I'm going to show you, I read that morning, or that it was really afternoon. I read that afternoon, and I said, Lord, why has nobody ever preached on this? Why has nobody ever shown me what I'm going to show you tonight? And I got to tell you, it was just something on my heart that I just said, Lord, if I ever get a chance to tell people about assurance of salvation and eternal security, Lord, I want to teach them this, Pastor. So would you take your Bibles and turn to 2 Peter chapter number 1? 2 Peter chapter number 1. Now, tonight's doctrine, young people. So you got you to listen tonight. This is an amazing, amazing passage of Scripture. And I'm going to start, because of all the good singing we've heard tonight, about God's Word, I want to start in verse number 4. 2 Peter chapter 1, this is 2 Peter now, chapter 1, verse number 4. I'm in Lebanon, Pennsylvania. I'm 23 years old. I'm a graduate from a Christian college, and I'm still struggling with assurance of salvation. And I come to 2 Peter chapter 1, and I look at verse 4. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious. Everyone together, what's the next word? Oh, that was terrible. For the great day that we've had today, that was terrible. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious. Promises. Now that was a lot better, Camp. Promises that by these ye may be partakers. By what? By the promises you may be partakers of the divine nature. Wow, that is amazing. The word of God, you partake, you meditate on, you make it your own, you become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. All right, I want to, we're going to talk about assurance and eternal security tonight. Can I share something with you already? Assurance has a lot to do with your faith, and that's your kind of your theme this week or whatever. And, uh, and by the way, faith over fear. So if you're afraid still that you're going to go to hell, you got to have faith. you got to have the right object. The object of your faith is not your memory. The object of your faith is not your prayer that you think you prayed. The object of your faith has to be the precious promises of the Word of God. Okay, so if you came to me and you asked me to give my testimony, like I kind of just did, there's one part I would say also. If I'm on a, if I'm on a plane, and I'm talking to someone, I'm going to give them their testimony. I'm probably not going to give all the little historical things I just gave you. My testimony of my salvation is not really a historical story. My testimony is the gospel of Jesus Christ. How many times have I heard people stand up and give their salvation testimony and never gave the gospel with it? I, I, I mean, uh, could you stand and give your testimony? Yeah. Well, I got saved, I, I believe, at 7. I, I was in Awana, and it was a special night. It was hot dog night, and I got two hot dogs, and I got one of the jewels on my crown in Awana, and I said a bunch of verses, and I, I, I met with my Awana counselor, and I got saved. Okay. Uh, what was on the hot dogs? You know, Okay, I, I, you know, I'm going to tell you something. 
that person might have got saved at Awana on a night they had hot dog night, okay? I'm not saying they didn't get saved that night, but they didn't give their testimony because your testimony is the gospel. So let me tell you something. If you ever have the opportunity and privilege to give your testimony of how you came to know Christ, give the gospel with it, guys. Put the gospel in it. Now, let me tell you this. I don't know if Dan Wheelhauer used this verse, but this is my verse that I'm saved. My faith is not in something I did at a retreat when I was 12. My faith is in John 1.12. John 1.12 says this, But as many as received him, Jesus, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. My faith is not in, I feel like a Christian, I feel like a Christian, I feel like a Christian, I feel like a Christian. You know why? Because there's been a lot of days I don't feel saved, I don't feel saved. My faith is not in my feelings. My faith is not in my memory. My faith is not in, I think I prayed this. My faith is in God's word. God's word says, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Young person, you ought to have a Bible verse to prove that you're saved. John 1.12 is mine. What's yours? Well, John 3.16, amen. That's a great one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, put your name in there, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Did you do John 3, 16? Yeah. Well, then there's your verse. Um, how about Romans 10, 13? Super. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Did you ever call upon the name of the Lord? Okay, Romans 10, 13. You got a verse now. Um, Philippians 4, 13. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Okay, great verse. It's not your salvation verse. My life verse, Isaiah 41.10. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. I love that verse, Isaiah 41.10. It's not my salvation verse, though. I didn't get saved by Isaiah 41.10. You don't get saved by Philippians 4.13. You get saved by Romans 10.13. You get saved by John 3.16. You get saved by John 1.12. Are you with me, young people? These precious promises you need to have. You need to have a Bible verse that says that you're saved. Do you? Do you have a verse that you can go to on your salvation and say, hey, I know I'm saved because the Bible says this. That's a really good verse. All right, let's continue on. Verse number five. And beside this, beside what? the precious promises that you're believing in. And beside this, giving all diligence. Okay, this is not God's diligence. This is your diligence. That's going to be really, really important in a few moments. Giving all diligence, add to your... Everyone in this room, as loud as you can, add to your... Faith. Add to your faith. Amen. There you go. She's got it. Add to your faith. Virtue, to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. Okay, I'm in Lebanon, Pennsylvania. I'm 23 years old, and I'm reading this. Add to your faith virtue. I look it up. I got my little Weiss word studies with me. Virtue, moral excellence, moral purity. To virtue, knowledge, experiential gnoskos, experiential knowledge, not just head knowledge, 
In other words, knowing by living the word of God and to knowledge temperance, self-control, not upset with traffic all the time, not getting up bent out of shape because of customer service or the way the waitress handled you the day before, and to temperance, patience, steadfast endurance, finishing what you start, Jim, not just starting something, but finishing it, staying under, remaining under steadfast endurance, and to, pay, and to patience, godliness, Eusebia, God-likeness. Is there anything in you that it looks like God in you. And a Eusebia, godliness, brotherly kindness, phileo, caring for others, not bullying people, treating others nice, sharing, giving to others, and a brotherly kindness, charity, love, forgiveness. And I'm looking at this and I'm going, okay, these things I'm not doing. I haven't added to my faith. Look at verse 8. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in your soul winning. No, it doesn't say that. You'll neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whoa! So if I'm doing these things, I'm going to have an experiential knowledge of Jesus. If I got this stuff, if I'm given diligence to add to my faith this stuff, I'm going to have this in my life and I'm going to know the Lord. I thought that was really cool. 23 years old, I know, third time I said it. I'm living in Pennsylvania, and I read verse 9, and I go, whoa, why has nobody ever told me this? But he that lacketh these things, that was definitely me at that point in my life, but he that lacketh these things, lacketh what things, Brother Shuttler? Virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, charity. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath everyone together. What's the next word? And hath what? Forgotten. Forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. I had been saved for 11 years. Nobody ever told me that a Christian could forget that they're saved and still be saved. No one ever told me that. I always thought, well, if you don't know you're saved, you're probably not saved. We're going to come back to that in a minute because some of you in here are not saved. And you've struggled with assurance, and the reason why you've struggled with assurance is you don't know Jesus. But some of you have struggled, not because you're not saved, your problem isn't salvation. Your problem is sanctification. You need to get right with God. You don't need to get saved over and over again. And he said, I never saw this before. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence. This is your responsibility, friend, to make your calling an election, sure. And I went, this sounds like work salvation. But it can't be work salvation. It would go against everything else in the Bible. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But what did it mean? Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. 
And I realized something I'd never seen before. This is doctrine. Now you got to listen, okay? My salvation depends upon the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. There is nothing I will ever do to be saved. There is nothing that I could ever achieve in my life. That's what I got saved from that Catholicism stuff, that performance-based religion stuff. There will be nothing I can ever do to merit my salvation. It was by grace alone. So when they do the roll call in heaven and they call out, Moses! Whoa! Haven't had time to see him. There he is. Moses! Whoa! Give us one of these, man. Go right. Part the Red Sea. Moses! Way to go, Moses! You're the best! What a deliverer! Way to go, Moses! Knew you'd be in heaven. Joshua! Whoa, Joshua. Man, I love you, man. Way to go on the Jericho thing. Good job. Make the sun stand still. Joshua, you're the man. What faith? What faith? Abraham. Whoa, there he is. Father Abraham. I'm one of yours, man. Abraham, man, there he is. Father Abraham, the man, a man. Way to go. You're the man, Abraham. Apostle Paul. Greatest Christian man, I loved your letters, man. You did a great man. You are Christian of Christians, Paul. Way to go. Paul, yeah, was there any question he was going to be in heaven? Paul. Jim Shetler. He got here? Shetler's here? Jim Shetler. Let me tell you something. I'm going to heaven the same way the Apostle Paul's going to heaven. By the grace of God. There is nothing that I have done that deserves my salvation. Jesus Christ paid it all. Abraham is in heaven for the same reason Shetler's going to be there. The grace of God. It was nothing by our merit. But let me tell you something, young person. My salvation is based on the finished work of Christ. But the assurance of that salvation depends upon the way that I live and what I believe in. In other words, whether you're saved or not is God's work. Whether you know you're saved is your responsibility. Now hear this. Have you ever prayed before for assurance of salvation? Oh God, give me assurance of salvation. He's never going to answer that. What did it say in verse number 10? In verse number 10, it said, Wherefore the rather, brethren, you, not God, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. Whether you or not you are saved, that's a work of God. Whether or not you know you're saved, that's up to you. Now that was a long introduction, and we're gonna, we're gonna go back through some stuff. So don't get too scared by that long introduction, but let's ask God now to help us on this incredibly doctrinal truth. By the way, what does the Bible say? That we are to rightly, anyone know the next word? Rightly divide. This is doctrinal tonight.
So you gotta stay, you gotta stay attentive tonight because we're gonna take, when you go into surgery, I just had double knee replacement surgery back in December. I wanted a surgeon who was awake and paying attention in doing the surgery of putting, taking my knee out and putting a new knee in, okay? And he did double of them. I wanted him to, man, are you okay? Are you ready to go? I want you to be alert because we're gonna, like a surgeon, we're gonna separate something tonight. We're going to separate something that many believers have put together. We are going to rightly divide the word of truth from eternal security and assurance of salvation. In order to do that, we need the Holy Spirit um, to help us. So, Father, we come to you tonight. I do pray this will be an absolute life-changing night for everyone. First of all, I want to pray for the sponsors and the counselors. I pray, Father, that they will be able to use the things that are given tonight to help young people and to help adults for the rest of their lives. If there's a sponsor or a counselor, a youth pastor or whatever that maybe has struggled like I have, I pray that tonight they would get that thing taken care of. But I pray that they would also take this message and help other people. The counselors that are here this summer, I would think would be able to take what I give tonight and be able to help them throughout the whole summer on assurance of salvation and eternal security. Father, I do pray for the campers. That's why I'm here. I'm here for these campers. And Lord, I pray tonight that they would learn something from your word that would help them. The music tonight has been about your word. So Father, may we take the word, understand the word, and apply the word in our life. May we add to our faith tonight. And Lord, there are young people in this auditorium that need to get right with God tonight. They don't need to get saved. They're on their way to heaven, but they need to get right. There are young people tonight that have deceived themselves. As we talk today about Kim Burroughs being blindfolded at the banana thing, Father, there are young people tonight that have deceived themselves in thinking that they're saved. They're not saved. They never asked Jesus as their Savior, and they're riding on their family's coattails. They're riding on something emotional, but they've never received Christ. I pray you'll work in their life tonight. Father, I ask that every one of us tonight would be spoken to, speak to this preacher. You know, Father, I don't even know how many times I've given this message. I, I, I gotta believe it's knocking on the door maybe a hundred times. And yet, Lord, I need it every time I ever preach it. Father, I need to add to my faith. And Lord, may this not just be preached to a bunch of teenagers. God, I need this too. So Lord, speak to all of our hearts tonight. May we never be the same because of what we're going to hear. And we'll give you the praise and glory. And God's children said, okay, so we're going to divide two doctrines tonight. So I need something to help me. And really, something to help you. So I got two chairs tonight. And these two chairs are going to represent two doctrines. We got over here, we have this doctrine. And over here... We have this doctrine. Okay, everyone, together, help me out. This is the doctrine of? The doctrine of eternal security. This is the doctrine of? Okay, so we're going to do something tonight. I'm going to tell you, I've been working with people for a long time. I've worked with adults, teenagers, college students, and a lot of people have tried to combine these two doctrines. we got to rightly divide the word of truth. So tonight... 
We're going to take two things that many people have kind of like messed up and put them together, and we're going to cut them apart. And we're going to talk about two separate doctrines tonight. We're going to talk about the doctrine of, everyone together? And the doctrine of? So let me tell you about the doctrine of eternal security. This one is based totally on Jesus Christ, on God. Whether or not you are saved is a God thing. It's not a Jim Shetler thing. It's not a you thing. It is a God thing. If you ever have received Christ, you have eternal security and you can't ever lose it. Let me give you some points. We mentioned John 1.12, so let me mention it again. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become, anyone remember what the rest of the verse is? To become what? The? Good, good. Many of you know that. The sons of God. When you get saved, you are born into the family of God. God is the creator of all mankind, but he is not the father of all mankind. you got to receive his son in order to get into the family. Okay, so I have two birthdays. I was born April 19, 1957. That's a long time ago. And then I was born in the spirit November 8, 1969. I have two birthdays. The only way that you can go to heaven is to have two birthdays. Now, some of you are going, oh no, I don't, I know my birthday. By the way, everyone real loud, out, to, uh, out loud together, when I say one, two, three, say your birthday, okay? What, what, what your birthday is, the month and the date of your birthday. You don't have to say the year, okay? So everyone together, are you ready? Three, two, one, April 19th. Okay, so every one of you got a physical birthday. You have a birthday that you were born. You got a year that you were born in. Da, 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 da. In order for you to go to heaven, you have to have another birthday. Now, you may not know when it was. My boys were three, four, and I think Luke was about nine years of age. And Mary Lee was four years old when she trusted Christ. She doesn't remember what she says, said in her prayer, and she doesn't remember the date. But she really believes that's when she trusted Christ. Guys, you can't go to heaven without two birthdays. Now, you may not know the date, but can every one of you go back to a time that you can go, you know what, I do believe I trusted Christ at this point or this time or, or whatever. If you can't, we're going to talk to you tonight because tonight's a great night to get that thing settled. Once and for all, what's the date today? June 18th? June 18th, 2019 could be your spiritual birthday tonight. And it would not surprise me in a group like this, there's, I would imagine there's some young people that only have one birthday in here. And you need to be born again, okay? So this is the work of God, eternal security. When you get born again, you get a new family. You get to become a part of the family of God. And now he becomes your father. And you become his child. Now, once you become a child of God, nobody can take you out of that position. Let's say, got the three sons. I look over, I got my telephone here. And I go, oh, hey guys, I got a call coming in from Ben. You mind if I take it? Okay, so I go, hey Ben, how you doing? Hey Ben, I'm, I'm preaching right now. What, what, what you doing, Ben? My name isn't Ben. Yeah, Ben, I get the radio on the phone. Yeah, Ben, what's going on, Ben? I am not your son. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're my son. What's going on, Ben? I am not your son, and my name isn't Ben. And I don't want you to ever communicate with me again. I don't believe what you believe. I don't want to be a part of your family anymore. And I am no longer 
your son. Goodbye for good and don't try to find me. And I've changed my name. Goodbye. Oh, what was that all about? Two days after Father's Day. You know, whoa, what was that all about? Let me ask you, young people. Is Ben still my son? No, he just said he wasn't. He just said he didn't want to be, and he just said that he's changing his name, and he just said he never wants to talk to me again. Young people, let me ask you, is he still my son? Yeah, you know, on January 19th, 1983, I was there when Ben was born. That was like one of the coolest moments of my life. Boy, anyone that doesn't believe that a babe in a womb is a person, man, you just never experienced birth. I mean, it's just unbelievable. I got to cut the umbilical cord. You know, my wife, she went through 24 hours of labor. I'm going like, this is the coolest thing in the world. My wife was tired, okay? She had labored. I'm going like, wow, what a moment this is. I really mean it honestly. The birth of my three sons go down as unbelievable moments in my life. I know Ben's my son. He was born in my family. A young person, let me tell you something. If you've ever been born again, you're part of his family. And if Ben Shetler can't leave the Shetler family, let me tell you something. You'll never leave God's family. If you have ever trusted Christ, you are part of the family of God. Everyone together, and you have what? So let me tell you another thing. So Ben's growing up. He was probably about a year and a half. And uh, I said, now I'm the baby of the family. And my wife is the oldest of the family. So, and she's got like a lot of siblings. So she took care of all these kids. I didn't know anything about babies or anything because I was the baby of the family. So I, I remember I didn't know what I was doing with diapers or anything like that. You know, so I was kind of learning everything. I said to Marilee one day, he was about, I don't know, he's about 12 months old or something like that. And I said, hey, Marilee, I'm going to take uh, Ben out for a walk. You be careful now. He's just been walking for about a month or so. Yeah, 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 I got this. So we go outside, and I put my hand down. And he reaches up, and he grabs my little pinky. He grabs my little pinky. It's the cutest thing in the world. He's grabbing on my little pinky, and we're just kind of walking along, father-son thing, you know. We're kind of walking along. And he stepped on something. I don't know, a crack, a stick, or something on the stone, or something on the concrete. He stepped on it. And as soon as he stepped on something, he did the worst thing he could have done. He let go. And when he let go, he fell flat on his face. And if you saw him today, you know why he looks the way that he did. No, 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 he fell flat. He fell flat on his face, skins his nose, skins his cheeks, got blood on his forehead, and he's screaming like crazy. I bring him in, merrily takes him, says, what are you doing? You don't know what you're doing. You're never going to be with him again. I go like, oh, man, that was really bad. Two weeks later, Merrily's out shopping. I say, hey, Ben. And go for a walk. He's still got the scabs, you know. I said, Ben, you want to go for a walk? Walk, Daddy. Walk, Daddy. And I said, come on, let's go on out. I put my hand. He reaches up and grabs my little pinky. And I said, no. And I reach down and I grab his wrist. Now, young people, I got to tell you something. We got a different ball game now. Before, it was Ben holding on to Dad. Now, it's Dad holding on to Ben. And we walk along and he starts to fall. I pick him up. And we go a little bit further and he starts to fall and I pick him up. You know what? I'm not letting him go for nothing. The Bible says in John chapter 10, verse 27, no man shall pluck you out of his hands. Not even yourself, young person. 
Young person, if you have ever been saved, you are in the hands of God. And I'm going to tell you something. He's not going to let you go. That has to do with eternal security. Let me give you two other really quick ones. One is the grace of God. And I talked already about going to heaven and seeing, the, you know what? We're not saved by what we've done. We're saved by his grace. So we're kept by the grace of God. And then the last one, and I love this, on eternal security. I just love this. My, my father-in-law, I think he's a theologian, but he's worked with Jewish people for over 60 years. One day we were talking, and he said, Jim, I have a question for you. He said, how long is everlasting? And I said, well, Dad, everlasting? It's forever. He said, hey, that's good. He said, how long is forever? And I said, yeah, Forever? Forever is eternal, Dad. It's eternal. He said, hey, that's good. How long is eternal? Well, eternal is, is everlasting. <laughs> it's everlasting, you know? And then he said this. He said, Jim, can everlasting life ever end? And I said, well, Dad, if everlasting life ever ended, it wouldn't be everlasting. Aren't you glad when you got saved, you didn't get probationary life? You didn't get put on probation. Hey, hey, look what you're, hey, look what you're saying. Look what you're talking. Okay, that's it. You lose your salvation. No, you didn't get probationary life when you got saved, young person. You got what kind of life? Everyone together, what kind of life did you get? You got everlasting. And young person, if you ever had everlasting life, you still got it, okay? That all has to do with eternal security. If you ever have been saved, you still are saved. But tonight, let's talk about this assurance of salvation for a minute. So let's go back to our list. It says here in 2 Peter chapter 1, look at verse 5 with me. And beside this, giving all diligence. Now the next four words, I think, are the key to what I want to talk to you about tonight. And we're almost done. We are almost done. I just want to go through these words so you have an understanding. Some of you need to get right with God. Some of you need to get saved, okay? So let's, but the next four words are the key to everything. So you guys have done a great job. You guys have been great to preach. You help me out on the next four words. What does it say? Everyone together. Who? Okay, let's wake up and try that one more time. Everyone together, those four words. Add to your faith. Okay, so what does that mean? Add to your faith. Well, uh, six and a half years ago, we moved from Paradise. We, uh, I know there's some people from Paradise, Texas, but this was really Paradise, okay? This was the most beautiful place on God's planet. Everything on planet Earth grows in Santa Maria Valley. It is the strawberry capital of the world. 20% of all strawberries grown on planet Earth come out of Santa Maria Valley. It grows everything. In you can grow from potatoes to bananas to apples. It's just, it's a moderate climate. It grows everything. My wife loves, uh, loves the garden and everything like that. We had a nice home. We pastored for six and a half years in Santa Maria. It was drop-dead gorgeous. I mean, it was just a beautiful place. And I took her from that place. And I took her to the desert. <laughs> and I took her to Lancaster, Palmdale. And we went to the high desert. It doesn't, we don't see a lot of trees. And it's the desert, you know. And I took her. So I did something for my wife. I bought her a house. I bought her a big house, 3,500 square feet. Praise the Lord. I put a pool in the backyard. Hallelujah. 
My wife wasn't happy. My wife says to me, Jim, you got to put something in the house. What are you talking about? I got a 3,500 square foot home. You got a pool? Come on, honey, what do you want? I want a refrigerator. Oh, me too. I want a refrigerator. So you know what we did to our house? We added a refrigerator in our house. Then my wife said, Jim, got to have some furniture. Yeah, like, what, what, what do we need now? A recliner, leather? Oh, yeah, we need a recliner, leather. We added to our house a, a leather recliner. And then we added a couch. Then we added a, a table with chairs. And you know what we put in the bedroom. A beautiful four-corner post bed, okay? So we started, listen, we started to add to our house of faith. Are you catching? We added to our house. We put a refrigerator in, we put furniture in, we put a bed in, we put a TV in, we added to our house. Brother Shetler, what does it mean to add to your faith? Well, you know what? You need to hear this. Because some of you have been saved for five years. Some of you have been saved for 10 years. And I'm sorry for this English, but I got to tell you something. You need to wake up. You haven't stinking put anything in your faith. You haven't added one thing to your spiritual life. There is nothing that is different about you today than when you were six years old and you asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior. Guys, I'm not telling you you're not saved. You got your house of faith, but you have not put one thing in your house of faith. You have not added anything to your spiritual life. And you come every year, you come to Southland, you love this camp, you have a great time, you make a few decisions, and you go back and you still haven't changed your life. The Bible says, it, giving all diligence, add to your faith. My prayer this week is that you will put something in your house of faith that you've never done before. Look at these things for just a moment. The first is virtue, moral purity, moral excellence. Now let's talk for a minute, teenager. Yeah, I know I'm old, and I know I don't know how to work one of these like you. But I got to tell you something. Jim Shetler has to put himself on covenant eyes. And Drew Shetler and Luke Shetler every week get a report of what Jim Shetler, Dad Shetler, has been looking at. My son Ben put his wife Mackenzie on covenant eyes. Now I'm just going to tell you this. If you don't have some kind of accountability and you have access to the internet, and if you don't have any accountability, chances are virtue is probably something that's not in your life. Young person, you need some accountability and you need some help quickly because your mind is a stinking gutter. And you think, and by the way, it is amazing how many, how many college girls that I have counseled in the last six years on pornography. So this isn't just a guy thing. This is a girl thing too. And young person, I'm going to tell you something. Your virtue, your moral excellence is not too good. And some of you know where your mind's been. Some of you know what you've been looking at. Some of you know what you've seen on Netflix. Some of you know the movies you're watching. And virtue is not existent in your life. Well, let me tell you. If you don't have virtue in your life, you're going to struggle on whether or not you're a child of God.
I'm just going to tell you. I didn't say you weren't a child of God. I just said you're going to forget that you were ever born again. Because look at what you're looking at. Now, some of you are looking at it because you've never trusted Christ. You have never asked Christ to come in your heart, and your mind is a gutter. Not because you're saved and struggling, because you're lost and struggling. Let's look at the next word. Add to your faith virtue. I pray some young people would make a decision tonight to put moral excellence in their life and add it to your faith and to virtue knowledge. Now, this is such a cool word. I was traveling up in Alaska with a, a, a church member of mine. He paid for everything. And we went up to Alaska, and uh, we went to see Denali, um, Mount McKinley, and uh, we were there. We were at a lookout. It was one of the first days that we were there. We went fishing down in Homer and caught a bunch of beautiful halibut and and and, and uh, uh, what, what's it called? <laughs> I, I can think of the fish, the other fish, trout. Not, I don't remember. Steelhead. I can't remember what it was, but it was fabulous. Salmon, salmon. Oh, I love salmon. You know. And uh, so, anyways, we we went fishing for a few days in Homer, and then we traveled up to uh, Mount McKinley, and uh, we stopped at an overlook, and we got out. And we were taking pictures. And there was a, a kind of an Asian man off to the side. And we were walking back to, we had one of those Cruise America campers, and he did too, and he had his family with him. And we're walking back, and I see the guy's T-shirt. I'm in Alaska, okay? And I see the guy's T-shirt, and it says, I survived Ivan. And I walk over, and I said, hey, I like your T-shirt. He looked down, oh, yeah. I said, um, that Ivan the hurricane. He said, well, yeah, it is. I said, uh, you from Pensacola, Florida? He said, I am. I said, I'm from Pensacola, Florida, too. And I went through Hurricane Ivan. So we end up talking, and I'm telling you, we have this incredible, I never met this guy before in my life. I don't remember his name now at all, but I mean, it was just like we were the best buds. Here we are at the base of Mount McKinley talking about Hurricane Ivan in Pensacola, Florida, okay? Now let me tell you what was so cool about that. It wasn't that we knew about Hurricane Ivan. It wasn't that we had studied Hurricane Ivan. Guys, we had experienced Hurricane Ivan. We went through it. Hey, hey, MREs, did you eat them? Oh, yeah, they came through our neighborhood. We got our meals ready to eat. Oh, yeah, that was the coolest thing. Hey, first question, how many days? I didn't even say anything than that. I said, how many days? He said, 12. How about you? 16. What were we talking about? How many days we didn't have electricity, okay? But we just knew that. As soon as you say, Hurricane Ivan, how many days? 12 days for me. 16 for us, man, without electricity. You know what? We had experienced it. We didn't know it up here. We had experienced it. Now, let me tell you something. Some of you can flat out quote the verses. There are young people in this auditorium that can quote more Bible verses than me. But how many have you applied in your life? How many do you know in your life? Man, you guys are getting it all up here, but you're not doing anything with it. You're not living your faith, young person. Add to your faith virtue and to virtue, experiential knowledge of the Word of God. Because when you start living the Bible, young person, it comes alive. And you're not struggling with assurance of salvation any longer. And to knowledge, temperance, self-control. I want to share a statement with you. This is one of the big ones. So put, hit your buddy right now and say, hey, you got to hear this. Hey, wake up. you got to hear this. Okay, all right, everyone get this now. Emotions make Fabulous engines and terrible pilots.
Now hear this. Emotions make incredible engines. Emotion, man, passion. You gotta have it. But don't let emotion be the driver of your life. Now hear this. Most teenagers today are living off of emotion. And they I feel like I want to do this. I feel like I want to do this. I feel like this would be good for me. I feel like this person would be good in my life. I feel like, a, stop it. Not your emotion. Get emotion out of the driver's seat. And let the word of God and the Holy Spirit drive. But don't lose your passion, man. Don't lose your... I'm, I love passion in people. I love passion in you. I love emotion. But emotion makes terrible engines. Or they make great engines. They make terrible pilots. Don't be moved. And you know what temperance is? Temperance is the ability to control your emotions. Some of you can't control it on a basketball court. Some of you can't control it if you have any kind of failure. Some of you get so like, wow, what's going on? What a drama queen and what a drama king. And I got to tell you, the longer I live, we got more drama kings than we have drama queens, okay? And I don't, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, we really do. But anyways, man, I, okay, I'm the dean of students. Let me tell you something. Guys can just be living off their emotion, man. And we say, oh, women are so emotional. <laughs> Not in the dorms I'm going in, okay? I'm telling you something. Now listen to me. You add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance. Do you control your emotions? No, I have a really problem here, man. Can we go to the next word? No, hold on for just a minute. I'm telling you something. Some of you are struggling with your assurance of salvation because you have no control over your emotions whatsoever. You're depressed all the time. You're like, boy, is she moody. It's like, what kind of day are we going to have tomorrow? That means she has no temperance. That means he has no temperance, no self-control of his life. He said, Brother Scheller, can we just get to the end of the message? I don't even want to go through the rest of the words. Well, these get really good. Okay, the next one is such a good one. The next word is patience. You say, Brother Scheller, let's just go to the next one because I don't have that one. Okay, hold on. Hold on. Let me talk to you about patience. This is a cool Greek word. It's a compound word, and listen to the two words. It means I love these two words. Remain under. To remain under. Now, it was given in two ways. One is a weightlifter who picks up the weight, and he's got it here, and he hasn't jerked it up yet. He's remaining under the weight. He's patient. He's under the weight, but he hasn't got it up yet. But this is the number one way this word was used. It was used for marathon runners that would run 26 miles, 385 yards. And they'd run. And they'd run. Oh, man. 14 miles. 17 miles. Gotta get some water. 20 miles. Oh. Oh. 20 miles. Most marathon runners will tell you laxid acid begins to form. And it's like needles. 20 miles. Oh, 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 oh. And they pain. 
and that laxid acid goes through their legs, and it's just like needles. They got six miles, 385 yards to go yet, but they remain under. They're patient. They're steadfastly enduring. Let me tell you something, young person. Some of you get a little adversity in your life. Oh, I can't live the Christian life. Oh, that was so rough. That was so tough. Pastor told me one time, this is the funniest, I haven't told this story in years. The pastor told me one time, he said, you know, I gotta tell you, I visited this sister in the Lord over at her house, and the day I went, they were putting up wallpaper, so you can tell you how long that story is. It's like 20 years ago. She said, they're putting up wallpaper in, in, in her house, and the wallpaper didn't match, and she says to her pastor, oh, pastor, what we have to go through as Christians, all oh, the suffering and the affliction that we have to go, and, and the pastor, I love this guy. You got to know this guy. He's got such a dry humor. I don't, I'll tell you. It's Mark Monty. I don't know if you ever heard of Mark Monty, but he's got such a dry sense of humor. He said, oh, sister, it's true. The suffering we have to go through. Matter of fact, to think that wallpaper doesn't match, I don't know what's next in the life of the Christian. Guys, guys, can I just tell you something? We can't handle any adversity in our life whatsoever. We got to become patient. We got to steadfastly endure. Some of you got to get some grit behind you and say, no, I made a decision in 2019 at Southland and I'm going to keep keeping it, man. I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep going on. You guys need some patience and the patience godliness. Okay, the coolest word here, it's Eusebia, and it means God-likeness. So let me tell you about this word. So um, now when I was a pastor, I did this very rarely. Saturday was a special day for me that I got away from everybody. It was my prayer day. My, I finished my study, and I, it was like I just didn't get around a lot of people. I did visitation in the morning, and then I kind of went somewhere and hid, you know. But once in a while, I went and played golf, or I'd go to the beach. Well, look at this complexion that's pretty fair. So the next day, if I ever went golfing or if I ever went to the beach, it was obvious that I had. So the next day at church, uh, people would come up to me. It was inevitable in the four-year world. Hey, good, uh, good message today, Pastor Shetler. Hey, did you go to the beach yesterday? Yeah, how'd you know? It's all over your face. Hey, hey Pastor Shetler, did you go golfing? Yeah, I went golfing. You could tell. You could tell. I was just like, I was all red. Now you hear this. I was sunburned. It was obvious I had been under the sun. Well, you know what some of you need? You need to get sunburned. S-O-N. So, uh, what, hey, what happened at camp, man? Like you're a different daughter. Hey, man, what, what in the world? I haven't heard a cuss word out of you for four hours. What happened? Well, I got Jesus at camp. You know what? Eusebia is God-likeness. Let me ask you something, young person. Is there anything in your life that is God-like? Is there anything in your life that looks like God? That people go like, wow, look at that person. That's God-like. Now, let me give you the last two. We're going to talk about another one of these and another message, so I'm not going to take too much time. Brotherly kindness is charity. No bullying. No bullying. You know what? Stop picking on other people. Stop cutting down other people. And junior hires, first of all, I'm looking at you guys. 
Because I don't know of a group of people on planet Earth that is more cruel to other people than 12, 13, and 14-year-olds. And you guys need a brotherly kindness. That means you care for other people. You let other people, you serve other people. It isn't all about you. It's about serving other people. It's about giving your life for others. Brotherly kindness, phileo. And then charity. Agape love. You hurt me. You hurt me deeply. But God loved me, so I love you, and I forgive you. Whoa. Hey, you know what? Take it. It's yours. No, 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 that's your last thing. No, man, I love you, man. It's charity. And don't you like that old English King James word? It's the idea of the verb tense. It's the action of the love. I think that's really cool. Okay, so if you got these things in you, it shows you that you're going to be you're going to know Christ and you're not going to forget that you were purged from your old sins. But if these things are not in your life, you're going to struggle with this. Now, I'm just about done. And you guys have listened really well, and I know it's a long one, but doctrine is so good to get. And I got your ears and heart right now. I don't want to lose it. So let me share with you something. Some of you in here are struggling with assurance of salvation. And the reason why you're struggling with this and the reason why you've asked Christ to be your Savior again isn't because you're not saved. No, you're saved, but you're not living right. And tonight, you don't need to ask Christ to be your Savior. You need to ask your Father to forgive you of your sin. And you need to get right with God, and you need to get something taken care of, and you need to start adding something to your faith. However, there are some people in this room that I got to talk to. Would you look at the very end? Would you look at 1 John chapter 5? 1 John chapter 5. And as we look at 1 John chapter 5, Jonathan Pound, would you come on up here for a minute? Jonathan, would you come on up here? Jonathan is one of our graduates from our college. I had the privilege to teach Jonathan. He's going into evangelism. Jonathan, I need your help for just a minute, okay? Would everyone look at 1 John chapter 5 for just a second? Look at verse number 11. And this is the record. Okay, this is what we were saying all about tonight. This is the record, the Bible, that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in his, everyone together, his son. Hey, that was good this late in the message. That was good. Life is in his, everyone together, son. It's Jesus. He that hath the son, way to go, hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Hey, hey, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may, everyone together, know that ye have eternal life. Okay, so I got something. I want to show you this and we'll be done. Everyone together, what do I got here? Can you guys see it in the back? Okay, it's ticket to heaven. What is this, Jonathan? It's ticket to heaven. This ticket to heaven. Everyone together, what's this? Okay, everyone together, what's this? Bible. Bible. Okay, well, I'm going to do something, Jonathan. I'm going to call the Bible for just a moment. We're going to call the Bible Jesus, okay? What's this? Jesus. Jesus. Everyone together, what's this? Jesus. Okay, I'm going to take my everyone together. Jesus. I'm going to put it inside of? Okay, pretty cool, huh? Okay, now watch this. Jonathan, receive Jesus. You just received Jesus, and because you just received Jesus, everyone together, what else does he have? Ticket to heaven. Ticket to heaven. Now listen to what the Bible says. 
He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Young person, thank you, Jonathan. This is not hard. This is not rocket science, guys. Listen to me, young people. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Now hear me. There are three kinds of people in this room right now. There are people that know Christ as their Savior. You have received Christ. You know you have received Christ. And maybe you're not right with God. And you got to get something taken care of. And your problem is not a salvation problem. Your problem is a virtue problem, a temperance problem, a patience problem, a godliness problem. Okay. I can see some of you nodding your head like, yeah, I'm with you, I'm with you. Okay, great. Some of you in this room, you're living the way you're living. Not because you're out of fellowship with God. You're not a child of God. You're not saved. You have never trusted Christ as your Savior. And friend, hell is your destination. I want to tell you something about hell. Matthew 25, 41 is the coolest verse. Hell was created for the devil and his demons. Hell was not created for any human soul to go to hell. God never created hell for anyone to go. My personal belief is that he wrote everyone's name in the book of life that's ever existed. And you blot yourself out of that book if you never receive Christ as your Savior. Because I believe in a whosoever will gospel. And I believe that every person here, God wants you to go to heaven. But I'm going to tell you something. You're going to spend an eternity in hell. And you got all these little Christian friends, and you got a mom and dad who are saved, but you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. Young person, I'm encouraging you tonight. You don't need assurance of salvation. You need to get saved. You need to ask Christ to be your Savior. You say, Brother Sully, you said there's three kinds of people. Yeah. And trust me, I know about this stuff. The third one is the one, oh, man. Oh, man. Brother Shelley, you preached for about an hour tonight, and I know you did a good job and everything, but I just got to tell you something. I just don't know. After everything you've taught, everything you've said, I don't know if I'm saved or not. I'm sorry. I know. Don't, don't, don't go back through it. Okay, we, we, we got it. But I'm just telling you, I don't know if I'm saved or not. Okay, let me tell you. I would encourage you, after what you've heard, if you don't know for sure that you're saved, I'd get it settled tonight. I'd ask Christ and get it settled. Make June 18, 2019, it then. But Brother Shelley, oh, I think I did this uh, five years ago. I just don't, no, no. You know what? If the Holy Spirit is going, you don't have, you're a child of mine, but you haven't added anything to your faith. You need to get right with God tonight. You need to get that sanctification. But I'm telling you, if after this message, you would say, I don't know. I just don't know, Brother Shetler. Then I would encourage you to trust Christ as your Savior tonight. I really would. I mean, if you don't have, after this, you don't have an understanding, probably you need to trust the Lord. And if you're here tonight and you go like, I know I'm not saved. Let me encourage you to make this the greatest night. And by the way, your youth group in this camp will rejoice in it. 
it'll be the greatest thing in the world. We're not going to go, oh, I knew it all along. I knew you weren't saved. No, we're going to go like, yeah, that's the coolest thing in the world. Some of you need to get right with God. So I'm going to start there, okay?